The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. We're live here in London and, of course, in the south of France in Biarritz at the G7. Uh, Global stocks rebound as President Trump says China wants a trade agreement fueling hopes of fresh talks between Washington and Beijing. Oh, the art of the deal. President Trump wraps up here at the G7 summit in Biarritz in an unapologetic tone, saying that, yes, calling President Xi his enemy one day and his friend the next is all just in his style. The way I negotiate, it's done very well for me over the years, and it's doing even better for the country. President Trump and Iran's Hassan Rouhani say they are open to meeting as the French president, Emmanuel Macron, aims to broker a pact between the U.S. and Tehran. And Italy inches closer to forming a new government with the PD and Five Star on the edge of a deal as outgoing Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte meets with party heads. Well, a very warm welcome to Squawk Box. As you heard there, we are live today in London and still in Biarritz. Steve is there covering all of the fallout from that all-important G7 summit that took place over the weekend and yesterday. Now, markets yesterday breathed a sigh of relief after all that came out of President Trump yesterday in Biarritz. He really fueled hopes of a deal coming together between the U.S. and China. And so we saw a a reversal in the sell-off that we saw on Friday after the escalation in between Beijing and Washington. So the Nasdaq led the way higher, ending 1.3% in positive territory. The S&P 500 saw all sectors end in positive territory, up 1.1%. And the Dow gained 270 points to cross a 25,000 thresholds. And we saw Apple having the most positive impact on the index overall. So rebounding from the steep losses that we saw in Apple on Friday. Let's take a look at Treasuries, where we saw yields rise across the curve yesterday. Now this morning, we've seen yields come down a little bit. The 10-year trading at 1.52%, the 30-year out at 2.0279%. But overall, the narrative for markets yesterday was, despite some controversy around uh, President Trump's comments that China called the U.S. and wants to come back to the negotiating table, investors took comfort in the positive rhetoric out of the president, and we did see a return to risk assets yesterday. Moving on, let's take a look at dollar crosses. The dollar index gained about 0.4% yesterday. Now this morning, the dollar weakening versus the yen to the tune of about four-tenths of a percent. Sterling and the euro holding steady versus the dollar. Uh, Moving on, let's take a look at safe havens. Uh, We had some uh, interesting comments from the Japanese finance minister. The yen, of course, has been the safe haven of choice in the latest route of market volatility. And the finance minister said he's watching currency moves with a sense of urgency. And that, of course, comes in the wake of the strong bid we've seen for the yen. Japanese policymakers tend to try to talk down the yen when it's strengthening too much because, of course, that can undermine uh, ex- export competitiveness. And Japanese, the J- Japanese economy is, of course, very export oriented. So just in terms of the USD versus the yen, it's currently at about 105.7. Gold, meanwhile, uh, trading higher about 0.14% this morning. That comes after a relatively flat day for gold yesterday. Let's take a look at oil markets. Uh, yesterday, we saw oil retreat about 
about 1% for WTI. Similarly, uh, we saw about a 1% decline for Brent. Now this morning, a bit of a bounce back here with both uh, WTI and Brent trading about half a percentage point higher. Moving on, let's take a look at Asian markets where the tone was positive. So taking a hint from that rebound we saw on Wall Street, the Shanghai Composite up about 1.7%. The Hang Seng underperforming up just about a tenth of a percent. And the Nikkei 225 up about 1.2%. European opening calls. Uh, what are we looking like for Europe? Yesterday we had UK bank holiday, which meant the FTSE 100 was closed. Now we're looking at gains for the DAX, the CAC, and the FTSE MIB this morning. Italy front and center, as you heard there in the headlines. It looks as though we may see a coalition come together between PD and Five Star. So all eyes on those talks uh, taking place in Rome today. Juliana, wasn't it remarkable? So what were the data points yesterday? Just remind me here, we had an EFO number that was terrible. Just reconfirm the position of the, uh, the German industrial sector. And we had a US durable goods order number that was, quite frankly, ho-hum, a mixed bag. And yet, Pavlovian-like, we got the markets higher across the board here because of what? Because of President Trump. and Because what's, of President Because Trump. of President Trump. And at the moment, I think that's very telling of what's driving markets at the moment. It's headline news. It's not necessarily the data. So we get a Pavlovian market response on the back of the fact that President Trump has said that we may be a little closer to a deal with China, citing a phone call from negotiators in Beijing. Speaking at the G7 summit in France, the president said he believes China sincerely wants an agreement, but added he's not sure they have a choice. Let's get out to Steve in Biarritz here. Steve, well, the markets got excited, but I'm not sure how much further the president's comments actually take us. I think the markets are getting really fed up with this, actually. I've got to be honest. You look at the huge oscillation in comments. Again, I mentioned in the headlines, calling President Xi potentially an enemy one day, calling him his great friend and saying what a great job he's doing the next. One minute telling American companies, I'm signing orders where you've got to come home and bring home your production from China. The next minute saying, yeah, I think we're getting really close. We've been in a strong position now than we've been at any stage. It is creating, as we all know, a lot of noise. The, even the algos, the high frequency traders, the prop traders, uh, the individual day traders, everyone's having to respond to this. And I, I heard one whining trader yesterday say, oh, he, he had some puts and he couldn't get them out because uh, basically the market moved against him because President Trump had made this comment. Well, get over it. If you're in the market, that's what happens. But unfortunately, President Trump is creating enormous volatility from the market with his comments. Uh, and as you read in your intro there with the Global Times saying, well, actually, what were the new calls and what is the new China, uh, uh, stance from the Chinese as well? And the question was, is he creating volatility for political capital? Is he creating actually because it it's factual and actually these things are moving as he says and there are big questions but yeah market moved up hundreds and hundreds of points from its lows in the pre-market where the futures called down a couple of hundred points uh, you know only this time yesterday uh, on the back of him saying yeah there's been phone calls but actually then dialing back a little bit saying well the phone calls were are ongoing and between Mr Mnuchin's team and of course the Chinese negotiating team as well but they've gone home now and by the way I just want to quickly show you something very very beautiful because we've managed to sneak in to what was the former red zone as well. Uh, this is the Grande Plage. I've moved from the uh, Plage de Basque, which was around the corner, to the Grande Plage. And it's just very beautiful, so I thought I'd show it to our viewers. I mean, we spent a lot of money coming out here. Uh, this is the uh, Hotel du Palais. Uh, that is where all the um, 
the delegates and the prime ministers and the presidents were all staying as well. Anyway, just a, just a beauty shot for you to prove that we haven't got a, a green screen behind us and we are actually here. Uh, but anyway, let's get back to the matter. Right, OK, so what did President say? Well, he made some very big political points in his final comments about what he's doing with China, why he's doing it with China, who should have been doing it with China, who's not doing it with China, uh, and about political opposition. Listen in. I have people say, oh, just make a deal, make a deal. They don't have the guts and they don't have the wisdom to know that you can't continue to go on where a country is taking 500 billion, not million, 500 billion with a B, out every single year, 500 billion dollars. You just can't do that. Somebody had to do this. This should have been done by President Obama. It should have been done, and Biden, Sleepy Joe. It should have been done by other people. It should have been done by Bush. It should have been done by Clinton. Double Bush. It should have been done. I'm doing it. Now, look, Juliana, you, Jeff, I, we all came into this business because we like the news business, because we're fascinated by politics, economics, business, markets as well. And, and while there's a story such as President Trump in town, I am incredibly grateful. But let's be honest about it. A lot of these comments that President Trump is making, he could have made them unilaterally anywhere in the world. He could have been in D.C. He could have been in Miami, which is a, a topic for conversation at a later point, perhaps as well. He could have been anywhere as well. And was there any coordination behind him uh, from the other G7? six uh, minister, uh, ministers, prime ministers, presidents as well, uh, and to make it a G7 kind of coordinating action? The answer is clearly no. And if you listen to what Monsieur Macron had to say, again, it's another example where the G7 is diverging uh, and not finding no coordinated path on what is the key issue of the day. Listening to President Macron. The discussions between China and the US have triggered uncertainty and it troubled investors and markets, creating tensions. We saw it on various stock exchanges. The question is what will be the outcome of these discussions? We are hoping very much that an agreement is found between the two most important economical powers. President Trump has clearly indicated his will to reach an agreement and we have seen some positive signs during the last hours of discussions here. President Macron there. And I think he's had a largely successful summit. There haven't been any great spats like we saw in Quebec last year. There haven't been any huge faux pas. It hasn't been a storming off uh, from President Trump. He hasn't exploded on Twitter as well. But I've got to ask the question about G7. And like, as a journalist, don't get me wrong, there's been stories galore here. I've been able to talk about Brexit, Iran, uh, Bolsonaro, Amazon, you name it as well. Global coordinated action, the huge China story. So for a journalist, it's been a smorgasbord. But if I'm looking at the effectiveness of the G7, and asking, is this a functioning organisation with coordination on the global stage as envisaged in the early 70s? I have to say no. And if you think this one uh, is uh, a bit wishy-washy, wait till we get to Miami next year or wherever President Trump decides to hold his uh, big key meeting. Back to you. Steve, I want to pick you up on that point, because if I look at the outcome of the G7, I mean, we did ultimately see uh, a positive reaction to President Trump's comments on U.S.-China trade and, of course, no explicit link to what was going on at the G7. But you have to think that it came at the G7 at Biarritz, President Trump, you know, giving some positive signals on the direction of that front. And then, of course, Macron spearheading a de-escalation in tensions in Iran. So ultimately, we have actually seen uh, an outcome that global markets perceives well and that suggests that we are seeing a bit of cohesiveness when it comes to uh, the global global leadership. Can't you make that argument? Uh, no, I don't think so. 
I completely disagree, actually. I think the global markets are, are moving on the whim of what Mr. Trump said and could say anywhere in the world. Mr. Trump has been looking at the markets himself. He didn't like the look of the markets on Friday. He didn't like the look uh, of what the markets were going to do on Monday on the basis of what he'd said about the relationship, about what he was going to make US companies do, about how far things were away. And then so he dialed back a little bit. He made those comments about his regrets. Then uh, Stephanie Grisham made the comments. Actually, he regretted he hadn't gone further as well. And then he said, I think we're in a strong position as well. And then the, these mysterious calls came up as well, which the Chinese are disputed. I think those kind of comments could have come anywhere. I think possibly they have exasperated other leaders here as well because they've taken attention away uh, from Monsieur Macron's uh, efforts to try and, try and get some coordination. Uh, and as far as Iran is concerned, Juliana, I, I look, no one appreciates more than the, than the people of Europe what Monsieur Macron is trying to do to get the Iran deal back on track. But there was no coordination. As President Trump said, you go your way, absolutely fine. You have my full endorsement. In fact, he said, look, uh, Mr. Zarif came here. Uh, Mr. Macron told me that he was coming here. That's fine as well. He's welcome to go his own way. But not one US official spoke with one Iranian official as well. Not one change uh, to the dialogue from the US has happened. The sanctions remain in place. The oil sanctions, which are crippling Iran, remain in place. Iran is still producing uh, at the same kind of levels with its uh, nuclear capacity than previous. So what has been made in terms of progress on the Iran front? Unless I've missed something, unless there's some subtlety uh, and the P5 plus one, there's been a change there. And don't forget, Juliana, the P5 plus one includes Russia and China. They're two of the Security Council nations. Well, they're not even here. So how can you make progress on getting the JCPOA back on track if the two key members as well aren't there as well? So I, I don't think there's been progress there. And again, dare I say it, the lack of a communique, the lack of a, this is what we have achieved together. This is how we're going to go forward together. I think it, it's glaring, isn't it? Well, Steve, you paint a, a really a convincing argument. So thank you for weighing in. We'll get back to you in Biarritz shortly. Now I want to bring in David Zahn, head of European Fixed Income from Franklin Templeton. Uh, David, so let's kick off with the, the comments yesterday from President Trump uh, around China. He was, it, it later came through from the Chinese side of things that this call that he cited, the call from the Chinese to the U.S., uh, there's no, no recollection of this call taking place. When pressed for details, President Trump was uh, fairly murky in terms of of the concrete details that he offered, yet markets rallied. So at this point, is the signal from President Trump that he is trying to push this picture that we're moving closer to a deal more important than anything else, than the actual details of it? Yeah, I think the markets are just looking for any insight as to where this trade negotiation, trade war is going. And I think that just, you know, we all know that Trump likes to talk through Twitter and really gets his, no his noise out there. And he used basically the G7 as another platform to do that. And I think this is just another part of an ongoing saga that we will see go for many months to come. Indeed, we, we did hear yesterday from Trump uh, later in the day when asked about the possibility of delaying tariffs. He said anything is possible. What's your base case at this point when it comes to actually going forward and implementing these tariffs that are set to come in on both the Chinese and the American side? Well, I don't think anybody wants a really uh, large trade war. I don't think it benefits either side. And so I think what they want is they want to uh, continue to move forward. They want to, to continue to negotiate. Both sides want to deal, I do believe. Uh, but neither side wants to back down. So in that, uh, you will probably see more tariffs come through than what you would normally expect. But I also think this is a longer term issue. This isn't just about this current trade war or trade tiff that we're having. It's more about how does China and the U.S. interrelate over the next several decades? 
Um, Jackson Hole has just disappeared. I know. And isn't that remarkable? Because we came into this week expecting that the markets were going to be listening to every word we heard from the central bankers. And yet, largely, this keynote event has slipped us by without really uh, causing too much of a ripple here. Is that concerning? Or should that be concerning at this point? I've heard nothing about recession from the G7 or the risk of. I've heard very little about um, inequality of income distribution mm -hmm. or any of the things that could really be important when it comes to whether we have a slowdown in 2020 or not. Should I be alarmed by this, David? Well, we listened to what Powell said on Friday and then pretty much didn't listen to much else what, what came out of that. Um, the ECB wasn't really speaking. Um, and so we already know what the ECB is going to do in September. We know that they're going to be easing policy. I think that global growth is doing okay. I think people get very concerned that we're heading into recession, but I don't think actually that we have that bad a background for economic growth. The U.S. is doing well. Europe is the weak point, and Europe is the one that actually growth is not doing as well. And I think that you will see the ECB ease quite aggressively come mid-September. Is there any reason um, to not follow the flow into bonds at this point? Uh, clearly, the, the market as a body has decided that it's, it's increasing exposure to fixed income on expectation of ever uh, uh, falling interest rates. As I look around, um, we've had Morgan Stanley talk about the prospects for recession. We've had Citi talking about the prospects for uh, lack of a trade deal. We've had uh, UBS overnight, courtesy of Juliana. Thank you for forwarding that uh, story to me, talking about how they're trimming their core equity positions. The momentum seems very much with fixed income at this point. Any reason not to follow that crowd? Well, I think what's going on is the markets are becoming more and more volatile. And so when markets become more volatile, people want more certainty. And I think that does, you do get certainty, albeit at low yields and fixed income. And so I think investors are looking for that, specifically in Europe. I mean, you could have this discussion of whether or not buying something in negative yield makes a lot of sense, but um, it does give you certainty of where what your return will be over the next um, you know, 10 years or five years. And I think that's what people are desiring. And so I think that this flow into that, the uncertainty of geopolitics, the uncertainty of what is going on with growth, um, the uncertainty of central bank policy, and then the last one would be uncertainty of fiscal policy. Will we get a big fiscal ease in Europe? That's something else that we have to think about and we haven't really discussed. And so I think when you see that, then people just kind of retrench and they look for more certainty going forward. Um, where are you pushing clients at the moment? What, what um, advice well, are you giving? I'm advising clients to um, basically look at uh, European fixed income. In our global portfolios, we think European fixed income offers some of the best value um, versus you know, treasuries or um, some of the Asian markets. Um, so we're long duration there. Within that, we have a combination of long dated um, German boons, so the you know, very long end, 30 years, as well as we still like Spain and we still like Italy. Okay, we're going to keep you with us. So we'll come back. We'll pick up the conversation in just a moment. I'd love to get some more from you on Italy. So we'll definitely talk about that. David Zane, uh, Head of European Fixed Income at Franklin Templeton. Um, go online to find out why Wall Street analysts still see an elevated recession risk despite President Trump's recent optimism on trade talks. That story for you on CNBC.com. And as Jeff just mentioned there, UBS has cut its equity recommendation to underweight for the first time in seven years. In its latest note, the world's largest wealth manager said the bearish view on stocks was prompted by the ongoing trade war and fears of slowing global growth. 
UBS believes both have increased the risk of owning stocks. However, the bank said it does not see a recession in the U.S. because of healthy consumer spending and central bank easing. Uh, Still to come on the program, Hong Kong's leader Carrie Lam says her government is in control. Uh, whilst addressing the weekend's violent protests. Uh, We'll have details on that story when we come up. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune into our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. And for our listeners, stick around for more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. Welcome back to the program. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, says she is confident the government can handle the current political crisis. Speaking publicly for the first time since the weekend's protests, Lam acknowledged the violence was becoming more serious, but maintained that her government was in control. Sherry filed this report from Hong Kong. The Hong Kong leader responds once again to the social unrest in the city. The main crux of her response remained the same as before. She didn't offer any major concessions on a part to the protesters. She highlighted the city's zero tolerance to violence. But there was a fresh line from her this week. She expressed her confidence that the Hong Kong government can handle the social unrest by itself. This can't be meaningful in terms of figuring out to whether and how mainland Chinese authorities are going to contain the political crisis in one of their territories. I think a responsible chief executive at this point in time should continue to hold the fort and do her utmost to restore law and order in Hong Kong. Okay, And I wouldn't say that uh, my government has lost control. Uh, Day in, day out, we are not only supporting the law enforcement bodies, we are also acting responsibly to deal with other issues that have arisen. Carrie Lam has also confirmed that she sat down with a few young people of Hong Kong with no political affiliations this week. South China Morning Post is reporting, citing one source, that she reiterated her stance that it's difficult to completely withdraw the extradition bill. I'm Sherry Kang for CNBC, Hong Kong. Let's get back to David Zahn, a head of European fixed income from Franklin Templeton, and just round out the discussion on the Fed. We were just uh, chatting Jackson Hole before the break. Should the markets take comfort in the Fed's willingness to act? Or at this point, do they lack the tools to really step in and cushion the blow that uh, could come from the U.S.-China trade war and all the other macro uncertainties that are weighing on the economy? 
Yeah, I think the Fed definitely has lots of tools um, to work with, uh, unlike maybe the ECB or the Bank of Japan, where they're much lower rates. The Fed can cut rates. Um, I think if you look at the U.S. economy, U.S. economy is doing fine. And if, if we were just looking at the U.S. in isolation, the consumer is doing fine. You have more spending from the government. There's it, nothing wrong with that economy, and they probably shouldn't be cutting rates. But if you look outside of it and you see everything else that's going on, that's where their concern lies. And that's where they're thinking, do we need to actually um, act? And you saw that in the latest minutes where it was a bit split is what was going on. And so I do think they can do things. How quickly will they do them is another question. But I think the bond markets basically just said, we need to um, find safety in bond markets and therefore investors are flocking there. Uh, Non-surprise news story of the morning. The San Francisco Fed says Japan's negative rates may have depressed inflation expectations. Is that a big surprise to you? I mean, the more interesting question, I guess, is um, this kind of messaging from the San Francisco Fed perhaps gives us an insight into what the Federal Reserve is thinking about in terms of next policy steps if we slip into recession. Do you think this suggests that they're actually moving away from the idea of negative rates? I think that negative rates are open uh, for any central bank. We have seen them be used in Europe and in um, well, all over, all over Europe, yeah, you know, Denmark, Sweden. Yeah, look um, how well that's going. Yeah, agreed. But there's also fundamental issues there. And I right. think that you have to look at the economies and how well they actually restructure themselves. And they aren't quite as fast at doing that as the U.S. economy. And so I think that the, the Fed is in a different place than that. Um, I do think negative interest rates are a concern, you know, longer term if they go on for a very extended period of time. But short term, I think it works really well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.